The UAW could unveil the next wave of striking plants on Friday. An auto worker today is making less in real wages than we made 20 years ago. That's why we have chosen to stand up. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Katherine Davis about the future of Walgreens' health care plans on the heels of the abrupt departure of Roz Brewer as CEO. You know, they've invested billions and billions of dollars into these healthcare assets like Village MD, like CareCentrix, Summit Health, City MD. And, you know, the idea was that this segment is going to be profitable and they'll be able to pay down that debt. But until that happens, that debt is growing interest. And making it harder to leverage one of their options like a PE deal. With any private equity deal, even more debt is added on to the company. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, September 20th. Want some wins? Wintrust Community Banks is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction and personal banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. That's one win, and that's for the second year in a row. That's a win-win. And you can now earn even more interest with Wintrust's new savings rates. That's a win-win-win. To get your savings some wins, visit Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. That's Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2020. Award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. The abrupt departure of Roz Brewer as CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance leaves the company's executive chairman and largest shareholder with the challenge of reviving a sputtering healthcare transformation strategy that he himself initiated. I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter, Catherine Davis. So yeah, interesting time for the Walgreens world. Tell me all about it. Well, you know, Amy, I've been on the podcast probably more times than I can count now to discuss Walgreens and their their ongoing saga with the healthcare transformation, the CEO transition, and now we're sort of looking forward for what's next for Walgreens. So you mentioned the largest shareholder and executive chairman, Stefano Pacina. He's sort of the main character of my latest story on Walgreens, primarily because, you know, he holds such an important role at the organization. Now that Ross Brewer uh, has departed Walgreens and the company sort of in this transition period of trying to find a new CEO, Pacina, we know, is now sort of going to be guiding the the decisions moving forward, at least through this transition period, right? So we broke down sort of a few of his options that we think may be on the table. I've talked with various experts, uh, industry analysts and consultants and folks from academia sort of about, you know, what he could be thinking and what would make sense for Walgreens at this pivotal time. You know, like we've discussed in the past, Walgreens is trying to transform into a full-fledged healthcare company, primarily through opening doctor's offices at its physical retail stores. But so far, this plan is not yet profitable. Walgreens says they aim to hit profitability in fiscal year 2024. But even with those targets, Wall Street and investors haven't been that excited about the plan. So that is why we've seen Walgreens stock drop more than half during Ross Brewer's tenure, which of course has a huge impact on Pacina's personal net worth. 
Sure. Yeah. And Pacina is kind of in an interesting position, just his history with Walgreens that he's now, you know, leading the charge on an interim basis, but also because of his status as a, as such a large shareholder, he's kind of in an interesting position that we don't see a lot when we see an outgoing CEO and we see maybe a, a chairperson stepping in to kind of run the ship for a little while. Totally. You know, just for some more background on him, he originally came to Walgreens when the drugstore giant merged with his company, Alliance Boots, which was an Italian-based European drugstore chain, sort of like the Walgreens over there. And that's how you got the name Walgreens Boots Alliance in 2014. And right after the merger, Piscina was the CEO for more than five years of these combined companies. He still lives in Monaco today, but became the executive chairman once Roz Brewer came on in 2021. And so, yeah, like you said, he's sort of had this leadership role. He's been with the company for going on a decade now. You know, the the pharmacy retail business is something he really understands. I think what he's not as experienced in is the healthcare side, which is, you know, sort of, I think, notably why he didn't step back into an interim CEO role when Brewer left. Instead, they named a different board director, Ginger Graham, into that role because she had some healthcare experience, frankly. Right. So there's still so many unknowns and and who knows exactly how it will shake out. But is there any talk of maybe selling off part of the business? That was a a thing that was floated a long time ago, maybe a couple of years ago. Has that resurfaced as, as Brewer's departure has been a thing? Yeah, Amy, I think what you might be referencing is a time in 2019 when a private equity firm, KKR & Co., reportedly approached Walgreens for a deal. Um, the idea was to take the company public at that time, but that deal never actually materialized. And so when I was talking with experts, they said that absolutely a private equity deal might be back on the table now, You know, as we see Walgreens sort of trying to turn itself around. And the interesting thing is that a private equity deal would be a lot more feasible now than it was back in 2019, primarily because the value of Walgreens has dropped so significantly. When that PE firm approached Walgreens back in 2019, the company's market cap was about $53 billion. Now it's down to about $19 billion. So that deal just becomes much cheaper, much easier to do, which is why experts were telling me, you know, that is probably one of the levers that Walgreens is considering pulling. So it could uh, it could stay the course. It could maybe go private. It could maybe sell off a piece. It's just there's so many unknowns. As you're talking with experts, was there any consensus around what seems like the most likely path forward? Most people think that Walgreens is just going to stick with the plan, which is to carry on with the healthcare transformation and find a CEO that has the relevant experience, but is also willing to take on this challenge on the healthcare side. You know, it's become very clear that Walgreens needs a healthcare leader. I think that's one reason why the company struggled under Roz Brewer is that because she was primarily a retail executive. You know, she had worked for places like Starbucks and Sam's Club beforehand, never a healthcare company. And going forward, Walgreens is really going to need someone who understands the complexities of this industry to make this transformation successful. I was talking to some experts, though, who say it may just be difficult to even find a CEO willing to take 
on this project. You know, I think there's sort of two things at play here. One is Walgreens is showing little signs that there's a lot of promise in its in its plan. So, you know, you're essentially asking someone to come in and turn around a sinking ship, essentially. The other issue is that, you know, the way in which Ross Brewer was was asked to leave so abruptly, I think, sends a message to any incoming CEO about the fact that you're working for a board of directors that wants to see results. And when they're not seeing them, you may be out as well. I spoke with an expert at the business school at the University of Michigan, and you know, he said it pretty plainly, where any new CEO will be on a shorter leash, not a longer leash. Right, which might be not the biggest selling point for for someone looking for that job. I mean, it's also a complicated job, right? While Roz Brewer's background was in retail, the retail piece of it is not insignificant. There is the retail piece, there's the pharmacy piece, and there's the healthcare business piece. You almost need three sets of expertise there in that role. Totally. I know. You make a really good point. I think the reason folks are so focused on finding a healthcare experienced CEO, though, is just because this is the part of the business that needs to come to fruition, essentially. You know, the retail part, the pharmacy part, I mean, those have been the core business of Walgreens forever. They know how to do that part really well. What they don't know how to do is the healthcare part. And that's why they perhaps need this extra expertise uh, and leverage from someone that really understands it. Right. And then, of course, there's the financial piece. There's a, a pretty pretty hefty, uh, let's see, $11.9 billion debt load, which is not nothing, right? So that's kind of a piece of that conversation too. So not only does that business need to turn around, but it's got to address that pretty quickly too. Exactly. And a lot of that debt is from the healthcare investments Walgreens has made. You know, they've invested billions and billions of dollars into these healthcare assets like Village MD, like CareCentrics, Summit Health, City MD. And, you know, the idea was that this segment is going to be profitable and they'll be able to pay down that debt. But until that happens, that debt is growing interest and making it harder to leverage one of their options like a PE deal. With any private equity deal, even more debt is added onto the company. And I was talking with industry analysts who said, you know, it'll be harder to get a PE deal done with all of that existing debt. Lots of, uh, lots of different paths ahead. What will you be most interested to watch just in the days and weeks ahead for Walgreens? I'll be interested to to monitor any other new deals they're making, um, you know, whether that's in the healthcare space or somewhere else. Uh, I think the thing we're all anxiously awaiting is just news of a new CEO. You know, I really wonder how long it's going to take them to find this person. And when they do find that person, who it is will speak volumes about the direction the company's going. You know, if this is someone with a lot of healthcare expertise, maybe coming from the provider side, I mean, that shows that Walgreens is is committed to making this work. If they bring in someone with more retail experience or just pharmacy or insurance experience, um, you know, I think that sends a different message. So um, I'm sure I'll be back on once Walgreens makes a decision or a move. But uh, until then, you know, watching the stock price closely and, and any other little partnerships they do in the meantime. Yeah, certainly. Are anybody on the short list that you're aware of for that CEO role? No, I wish I had intel like that, Amy, but not quite yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if anyone listening does, let me know. That's right. 
Uh, all the Cranes reporters love, love listener tips for sure. All right. Well, we will talk soon when you know more. Thanks so much, Catherine. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, a warrant has been issued to seize an allegedly stolen piece of art at the Art Institute. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, Chicago's Food Bank, is on a mission to end hunger. But the need is still above pre-pandemic levels. One in five households in our community is experiencing food insecurity, and families with children are at greatest risk. September is Hunger Action Month, so help your neighbors by donating today. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, chicagosfoodbank.org. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Michael Martinez at Crane's sister publication Automotive News reported that the UAW will expand its strike against the Detroit Three on Friday if negotiations stall this week. That according to UAW President Sean Fain. Fain said in a video posted by the union on Monday evening, quote, if we don't make serious progress by noon on Friday, September 22nd, more locals will be called on to stand up and join the strike. This is our generation's answer to the movement that built our union, the sit-down strikes of 1937. Then as now, we face massive inequality across our society. Then as now, our industry is rapidly changing and workers are being left behind. Then, as now, our labor movement is redefining itself. Fain didn't say how many additional plants would join the work stoppage, which began last Friday. Fain's comments suggested that the UAW could decide not to add plants even without deals in place by Friday, so long as the union is satisfied that the talks are productive. As previously discussed on the podcast, about 13,000 workers at three plants are currently on strike. After the strike began, Ford laid off about 600 additional workers in Michigan as a consequence of its reduced production capacity. And GM has said it will need to lay off about 2,000 workers in Kansas as early as this week. Automotive News noted in reporting that negotiations continued on Monday, although Fain has called progress slow. The publication also reported that a person with knowledge of the talks said the union has not received any new proposals from the automakers since the strike began. Edward Tilley is out as CEO of CBOE Global Markets. Crane's Steve Daniels reported that in what is a major surprise, Tilly resigned as chairman and CEO of the Chicago-based options trading house, one of two dominant derivatives exchanges based locally. His departure comes after the conclusion of an internal investigation, which the board launched in late August alongside independent counsel. The company said in a release, quote, the board of directors determined that Mr. Tilly did not disclose personal relationships with colleagues, which violated CBOE's policies and stands in stark contrast to the company's values. The statement went on to say, quote, the conduct was not related to and does not impact the company's strategy, financial performance, technology and market operations, reporting or internal controls. 
Daniels reported that named to fill the role as CEO is Frederick Tomzik, a CBOE board member since 2019 who was president and CEO of TD Ameritrade from 2008 until 2016. William Farrow takes the role of non-executive chairman of the board. Farrow is best known for running Chicago-based Urban Partnership Bank, the successor to failed Shore Bank, from 2010 until 2018. Before that, he spent six years as chief information officer for the Chicago Board of Trade. Daniels also noted, citing a Securities and Exchange Commission filing, that Tilly's resignation is being treated as a termination, quote, without good reason, as his employment agreement defines that. He's ineligible to collect $8.8 million of severance and as much as $892,000 of other benefits, which could have been his if the resignation had happened under different circumstances. Daniels also noted that Tilly will get his prorated salary through September 18th, his official resignation date. Tilly will be allowed to keep a portion of his outstanding restricted stock units, though CBOE filings show that he had to forfeit equity awards worth around $10 million. Newly in the role, Tomzik will earn a base salary of $1 million, and his target bonus will be 165% of his base salary. He receives an equity incentive award valued at a little over $7.1 million, which vests over time. Tilly collected more than $70 million in compensation from CBOE over the past decade, counting his salary, bonuses, and the value of vested equity awards. That according to filings. Crane's John Pletz reported that Illinois has the seventh highest number of jobs in the clean vehicle sector among all U.S. states. Nearly 14,000 people were employed in clean vehicle jobs in Illinois last year, according to a report by Environmental Entrepreneurs, or E2, an economic and environmental advocacy group affiliated with the National Resources Defense Council. However, as Pletz noted, Illinois trails several of its Midwest neighbors, led by Michigan, which employed more than 32,000 people in clean vehicle jobs, followed by Ohio and Indiana, with about 22,000 each. Vehicle production, including hybrids, is the fastest-growing segment of clean energy jobs, according to E2. Pletz also noted that electric and hydrogen fuel cell vehicle jobs are growing at twice the rate of other clean energy industries such as energy efficiency, renewable energy, and electrical grid modernization. EV maker Rivian now employs about 8,000 workers at its plant in downstate Normal, and electric bus maker Lion Electric opened a factory in Shinhan that is expected to employ more than 1,000 people. E2 also told Cranes that clean energy jobs grew 3.6% in the Midwest last year, while clean transportation jobs grew 11.2%. Pletz also pointed out in reporting that incentives from the Federal Inflation Reduction Act and the state's Reimagining Energy and Vehicles in Illinois, or REV Act, could lead to thousands more jobs, according to U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth and Governor J.B. Pritzker. Chinese battery maker Goshen recently also announced plans to build a $2 billion EV battery plant near Kankakee after receiving more than $500 million in state incentives from the REV Act. Crane's Brandon Dupre reported that New York authorities have issued a warrant to seize a watercolor and pencil drawing by Austrian expressionist Egon Schiele from the Art Institute of Chicago. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office issued a series of warrants last week looking to seize three artworks created by Sheila that it believes to be stolen. 
The combined total of the three pieces is valued at nearly $4 million, according to the warrants. In a statement, the Art Institute of Chicago said it is confident in its legal acquisition and lawful possession of the work, also saying that the piece is the subject of civil litigation in federal court, where the dispute is, quote, being properly litigated and where we are also defending our legal ownership, they said. Dupre reported that the museum confirmed that the artwork entitled Russian War Prisoner is still currently in its possession. The other two artworks are a portrait of a man, a pencil-on-paper drawing at the Carnegie Museum of Art in Pennsylvania, and Girl with Black Hair, a watercolor and pencil-on-paper work at Oberlin College in Ohio. Dupre also noted in reporting that, according to the Art Institute's records, Russian War Prisoner was sold to the museum by B.C. Holland in 1966, and no price is listed. In an obituary that appeared in the Chicago Tribune in 1994, Holland was described as an antiques dealer's son and World War II bomber pilot who became one of Chicago's premier art dealers. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. The business world is ever-changing, and the need for innovative leadership is more critical than ever. That's why Cranes has partnered with the University of Chicago Booth School of Business to provide an educational program about leading in uncertain times. In five half-day sessions, you will strengthen your skills to motivate, innovate, and communicate with clarity and become a more productive leader for today's workforce. Apply by September 29th. Visit cranesacademy.com for more information and to apply.